Thank you, Christine, and the band. It's good to be back, isn't it? It's good to be back here and worshipping together. It's great to stand here and and see friendly, familiar faces. Um, And uh, it really struck me as I I stood up to welcome everybody, people were smiling. (laughs) It's great. It's great. Not that we don't often see that in church, but so often you can wander around a supermarket or get on a bus or, or whatever you happen to be, and people look so miserable, don't they? People's default facial expression is not one of joy. It's, it's a shame. It's a shame. A smile goes a long way. Well, this morning, before we come and share communion together, which we'll be doing later in the service, um, it's one of those mornings where, because it's a communion service, there's no, there's no set passage. So I was thinking over the summer what, what to preach on this morning, what we should speak about. And it felt right to me, and it's been, it's been affirmed through, um, through some of the songs that we've sung this morning that have spoke about the, the everlasting nature of God. Um, someone, someone mentioned that God is, is with us um, uh, uh, now, and, now and forever and was there at the beginning, and there's been all these references. That's been an affirmation this morning, because I've really felt, as, I, as I've been um, preparing for today, that after a, a time away from South Green, when some of us have worshipped at Perry Street, some have worshipped at Sunnymead, some have been elsewhere to worship, some have been away and maybe, maybe haven't worshipped, some have maybe thought, for once I'm going to have a lie in on a Sunday morning. Don't feel guilty if you've done that. Don't feel guilty. The good thing is we're back here to worship now. After a time away, um, that analogy came to me. The analogy that many of us will be familiar with, it's one that you really used to annoy me when I first came to faith. When I first did an Alpha course, a year, uh, well, what, 12, 13 years ago, <coughs> it was the analogy about the coal in the fire and how um, the imp- a church is important because if you think of, of a coal fire, you take one of those coals out of the fire and put it in front of the fire and it's not part of, the, of the, the, the roaring furnace anymore, then what happens to that coal? And of course, what we're supposed to say is, well, it, it gets cooler and cooler, and eventually it, it dies out. And that was, that's given often as a reason for going to church. And that annoys me, because I've got a fire at home. We've got a, we normally burn logs on it, sometimes we use coal. And I know for a fact, and forgive me if I've said this before, but I know for a fact, if I take a coal off our fire, A, they burn incredibly hot. And if you take one and put it on our hearth, it's a stone hearth, but there are scars where things have fallen out of the fire and they have scarred, they have scorched the stone. And no matter how much you scrub it, you cannot get those marks off because those marks remain. That burning item that fell out of the fire has left a lasting impression that the coals or logs that were in the fire didn't. And so I really struggled with this analogy. I didn't like it. And it still, it still nags at me when I hear it flippantly thrown around. And I hope that over the summer, as we haven't worshipped together here, none of us have kind of felt like the, the, the coal that has cooled down. I hope instead that wherever we've been, whatever we've done, in some little way, we've made a mark. We've made a mark on someone who maybe has been irritated when we've had the audacity to tell them that normally we'd be in church at this time on a Sunday morning. 
Or maybe it's been during the week and, and there's been a, a neighbour or a friend or a colleague or, or a family member or someone that you've, you've met on holiday or something like that and you've managed to mention your faith and they've thought, that's interesting. I thought that was dead in the water, that whole church thing. I thought that was dead and gone, but clearly someone still clings on to it. That's interesting. Or maybe it's been someone who's, who's suffered really bad news and you've said, look, this is a com- my faith is a comfort to me. My God gets me through these difficult times. And I pray that you will find my God as well. So hopefully we've been like the coal that falls out the fire and is the one that gets me a lecture for not putting the fire guard on. When I'm told, put the fire guard on, we've got, that's what it's there for. And I say, no, it, it sends all the heat up the chimney, don't do that. And then something falls out. And for the rest, of, the rest of my days, there's this mark there to remind me that I, once again I was wrong and I should have listened to the advice of my darling wife. I hope that we've been like that, Cole, and not the other one. Because you see, God doesn't change. Even when we don't meet here, when we don't share together as a fellowship, when we don't, don't worship and, and pray together and, and, and share scriptures, when we don't um, have times of intercessory prayer, when we don't listen to a sermon or, or, or watch a video or have a speaker in, whatever it is, when that doesn't happen, God doesn't change. God doesn't go on holiday and think, oh, I'm going to have a lie in this morning. I'm not going to bother overseeing the world. God cares about us all the time. And so this morning, I'm just going to begin with, with reading... Um, the opening of Psalm 136. And there's going to be a, a, a bit of um, give and take on this one because <clears throat> some of you will know this, some of you won't. But this psalm, after every line, there is a response. And I'd like you to give that response this morning. And the response is the same every time. It just says, His love endures forever. Okay? So I'm going to read a line of the psalm and then. His love endures forever. And then another line, his love endures forever. And we're just going to go up to the end of verse 9. So Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, His love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night. His love endures forever. And the psalm goes on and it it reminds the Israelites of of what their ancestors ancestors had been through and the way that God had, had been with them throughout the history of their people. And we won't go through the whole psalm because it's quite long. But you get the idea. The response to everything in that psalm, every statement of faith, his love endures forever. 
God is not temporary. God is not only there when we receive the good news, when we, when we suddenly get an answer to prayer that is so blatant that we cannot fail to acknowledge it and remember the prayer that we prayed. God is not only there in those moments. God endures throughout everything. God is there when we bang our fists against the table in frustration that our prayer hasn't been answered. God is there when we sob ourselves to sleep because we miss a loved one so much. God is there when we cannot sleep and at three o'clock in the morning we are downstairs having a cup of tea worrying about the results of that test that we had last week. God endures forever. Now, of course, we, we share these statements, don't we? We, we, we? we share these things together. And we nod and we agree. And we say, yeah, God, God is forever. God endures forever. Yeah, God's there, definitely. Good times, bad times, God's there. But there is a whole world of people out there who say, yeah, 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 yeah. But he's not, though, is he? Who say, why doesn't he answer the prayer? Why doesn't he wipe out all evil? Why doesn't he take away all suffering? Why does he allow children to be abused? Why does he allow people to to have terrible accidents? Why does he allow all these good things to happen to bad people? If God was there, then he wouldn't let that happen. His love doesn't endure forever. If it was ever there at all, it's not now. And that can be a challenge. And I've had a couple of conversations over the summer. And... It can be difficult because some people are so, so stubborn in their refusal to even entertain the notion of a loving God that we can come away thinking, I've made no progress at all. I've, I've just let, I've just, if anything, I've put that person further away from God than they ever were. And you can really kick yourselves about it. I've known people who had conversations with others where well, they've gone into the conversation thinking oh, I'm going to make a real impact here, I'm going to share my faith, I'm going, to, I'm going to introduce this person to Jesus if it's the last thing I do and they've come away from the conversation questioning their own faith because of the challenges that have been thrown up they've not been able to, to cope with it there's this great passage in 2 Peter that reminds us in those times why we believe what we believe. Peter writes in chapter 1, verse 12 of his second letter, So I would always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we were told, when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven 
when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I love those verses because Peter, he says, listen, when you're going through those times, when you have gone a little bit cold, when you're feeling a bit vulnerable, when you've had a conversation where you've come away and, and you felt like you've been challenged and you've suddenly started questioning things, read this. We did not follow cleverly invented stories. This is not a work of fiction. This is not simply moral fables or, or fairy tales for children. When we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, this was based on eyewitness accounts. These eyewitnesses recognised Jesus for who he was. They recorded what they had seen. They, they checked their, their facts. They examined Jesus' claims. They went back to the prophets of the Old Testament. There is so much evidence if we put the work in that the Christian faith is a faith based on rock-solid truth. But, Peter says, above all, you must understand. During the summer, we've had several days out. And um, we've, we are... Uh, we're members of English heritage and we like to get our money's worth out of that sort of thing, so we visited pretty much every castle ever built in England. Um, but one of the best days we had, um, we went to Stowmarie's Airfield. Any, aerodrome, sorry. Anybody heard of that, been there? Yeah, it was a brilliant day out. So this is an aerodrome um, near um, uh, Southwood and Ferrers, um, and it's the best World War I best preserved World War I aerodrome in the world. Just before the First World War, it was, it was farmland. And um, at the outbreak of war, um, there was a threat of airships coming over to bomb London. And so there were different areas, um, one of which was down, down at um, uh, Stowe Maris. And um, the farmland was, uh, I think it was a compulsory purchase order. The farmer lost his land and this aerodrome was built. And after the war, he, the farmer could buy the, buy the land back and um, what he did, all the buildings, all the, the um, well, not the hangars, because they were made of wood, so they, they've, um, they've, they've rotted, but um, all the, the barracks and the mess and the waiting area, all the different um, buildings that were made of brick, they were just used as, as animal sheds or storage, and they're still there. And 10 or 15 years ago, this was, this was identified as being a site of historical importance. And so now there's a charitable trust that, that maintain it and that are, are, are slowly but surely restoring it. It's a fabulous day out. I'd recommend it. But there's a monument. There's a monument on this aerodrome to the pilots who lost their lives during the First World War. And um, because it's still a re relatively new tourist attraction, um, we had a, a, a personal guided tour. And it was very interesting. It was really well done. 
And when we're looking at this uh, monument, there's about 20 names, maybe, maybe a few more, um, of people who lost their lives in that conflict. And the tour guide allowed us to, to read the names and just have a, have a moment to um, pay our respects. And then he said, um, you see those two names at the end there? They were the only two to lose their lives in action, enemy action. All the others lost their lives in accidents. And he went on to explain that the Royal Flying Corps, as it was then, the, the predecessor to the RAF, and the Royal Flying Corps was very much based on an old boy network. To fly a plane, um, it was, you know, if you'd, if you'd been to Eton and then Cambridge, then you could have a go. Regardless of how talented a pilot you might be, if you'd gone to Mayflower or Bit of Ricky, you wouldn't have a chance. <laughs> and so it was a real privilege. And so, to enter the Royal Flying Corps, it was, um, it was more a case of, of who your dad played golf with or where you'd been to school. It was, it was a position of privilege that wasn't earned. You didn't really have to put the hours in. And pilots would get um, stationed to places like Stomaris, <coughs> and they'd get in a, a, a biplane. It was before even the Sopwith Camel. That, that came later. But one of the very, very early, early biplanes that looked for all the world as if they're held together with, with sellotape and balsa wood and paper and not much else um, they looked so fragile and these guys would get in and they would, they would take off alright but of course when you take off you've then got to land and some of them had only ever flown once before and they'd fluke to landing and so they'd get there having had maybe 10-15 minutes in the air in their entire life and they would be given their aeroplane and they would be expected to go off on patrol and they'd go off and they'd patrol and then they'd come back and they'd suddenly think, I've got to land this thing. This was before the days of parachutes, so that wasn't an option. And they'd approach the, the airstrip and for many of them, they would come in at the wrong angle and just smash into the ground. Or they would overshoot and bounce off the end of the runway. And they were killed in these terrible air accidents which, with a little bit of training and tuition, could have been avoided or maybe if they'd, if they'd tested things like, um, things like eyesight a little bit more thoroughly rather than just checking where someone went to school they might have identified that most of these guys they weren't cut out for flying you see they wore the uniform they had the wings they were even given the, the, the barrack block and they were given an aeroplane they were given an engineer to look after their aeroplane they were given someone to, to brush off their uniform and polish their shoes. They had, they had all the trappings, but what they were actually there for, they weren't very good at. They hadn't been trained, and none of them acknowledged that. None of them had the courage to say, I don't know what I'm doing here. I've done this once before, and to be honest, I had my eyes shut on the landing. It was an utter fluke. I don't think I can do it again. Or none of them would say, I've only ever flown in fair conditions and it's quite windy today. Or I flew it one morning um, when, <coughs> when the sun was bright. I've never flown at night. And they'd be sent off in these conditions they were completely unfamiliar with. It's all very well walking around proclaiming the Christian faith but we have got 
to be prepared. We have got to make sure that when we put ourselves in those positions, when we, when we wear the uniform and have the wings on the shoulder, when we, we come to church and, and we, we, we tell each other that the, the love of God endures forever, we know that's a truth. I'm not saying that's not a truth. It is. That is a truth. It's also a truth that those aeroplanes could fly. But did the pilot know what he was doing? You see, we need to make sure that we read our Bibles regardless of when we're, not, when we're at church or not. We need to make sure that, that our prayer lives aren't simply confined to a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. We need to make sure that our teaching and understanding doesn't simply come from the pulpit or the lectern. We need to be working and working and working to build that bank of knowledge, to prepare ourselves for the time when God says, you're ready to go into conflict. Because God doesn't send us out unprepared, but sometimes we can send ourselves out. We can say, right, I'm ready, let's go, let's go. I'm going to go and tell someone about the cold and the fire. And they're going to turn around and say, I haven't got a hearth, I've got a carpet. Coal falls out of that, my house burns down. Stays in the fire, I forget about that coal. So, tell me again about the importance of church. You see, those sorts of challenges are there. So let's not, this year, as we, as we start a new season, as we start heading towards um, one, of the, one of the best times of year in a Christian calendar, Christmas, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, when we celebrate the fulfilment of all the, all the prophecies that were made in the Old Testament about the coming of the Christ, when we can actually invite people to carol services. We've also got got a quiz night coming up that we can invite people to. We've got another family service in October. We've got these things that we can be inviting friends, family, neighbours, colleagues, whoever. We can invite them along. Let's invite them along with a confidence that says, I am absolutely sure of my faith because every day I read verses of scripture and I absorb them. Every day I make time to pray and then to receive from God. Let's make sure that when we get in that cockpit and we take off to deliver an invitation to someone saying, come to church, let's make sure that when they say, why? We're not shot down, but instead we can we can make a mark on them that lasts forever. This time of year, you can't help but notice that things begin to change. The weather begins to get a little bit cooler, the trees begin to change, the, everything changes colour, sometimes gets a bit damp and murky, but hopefully not yet. But this week, as we've, been, uh, we've done a couple of woodland walks, and um, it's, it's really reminded me that it's almost conquer season, and um, I still, I, I, don't know, I don't know if this is just, um, just me or if other people find this, but in the autumn when we walk past the conquer tree, I still cannot help but p- collect conkers and look for the ones with the sharp edges or the big ones and chuck out the little ones that you know will get smashed on a string in seconds. Even though I don't play conkers anymore, I haven't collected, I haven't sort of, you know, got sackfuls or anything like that, but we walk past the conquer tree, I can't help but pick a few up because they're so shiny and they've got that lovely feel to them. And it reminded me this week that 
where I used to live in Ramsden Heath, we used to have, um, there, was a, there was a factory next door, it's not there anymore, but there were these wonderful conquer trees and every year they would be heavy with conkers and we would, we would climb the tree, we'd shake branches, we'd cut open the shells and then realise that it's not the best way to do it because they're not ready and so we'd wait and get impatient and eventually one, one weekend we'd go and we'd, we'd see that there'd been, there'd been a windy night and they'd fallen and the shells had split and the nuts were ready and we'd collect them and then we'd go home and uh, we'd choose the sort of most aggressive looking conkers and we'd put a hole in them or sometimes we froze them because there was an old wife's tale that that made them harder or you might put them in vinegar, that was another one um, some people boiled them All, and then you get to school on the Monday morning having carefully drilled a hole through trying not to weaken a conker, put a shoelace through and you whack them, I don't think you'd do it anymore I think it's health and safety or something unfortunately but <coughs> you, you'd then sort of whack your conker against someone else's and, and see who could win it was brilliant. We used to love doing that. But we used, to, we used to collect so, so many. So, so many. And we'd store them in plastic bags outside because we weren't allowed that many conkers in the house. Fair enough. And after a few weeks of conker season, you'd go to a bag and there'd be a, an odour. And you'd look in and there'd be a fur on the top. And the conkers would be a little bit lighter than they once were and they'd be a little bit more frail and the skins didn't have that lovely dark brown colour they'd gone a little bit pale maybe even a bit wrinkly in places and when you dropped one it sounded a little bit delicate and you thought I can't put that on a string and conquer season was over nothing lasts forever except for one thing. All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of our God stands forever. So over the summer I do hope that you've managed to find some sort of rest and recuperation. I do hope that you've managed to maybe get away for a few days or or have people to stay. I do hope it's been a great summer. But as we go into this new season now, as the autumn begins, as we start maybe gearing up for Christmas even in a few weeks' time. I know it seems silly to talk about it when there's blue skies and sunshine outside, but it'll soon come. As, as trees lose their leaves, as fruits blossom and har- are harvested and then rot, just remember, there is one thing that lasts forever. There is one thing that will not rot, that will not lose colour or go wrinkly. There is one thing that will never fail us and that is the love of our God. It endures forever. So, I'm just going to pray for us and I'm going to ask the band to come up and lead us in a song before we share communion together. Heavenly Father, Everlasting God, we give thanks that you never fail us. 
We give thanks that you never let us down. You never give up on us. Lord, we give thanks that you never change. Father, thank you that you don't hold grudges against us. That you don't judge us for the mistakes that we make. Lord, you are unchanging. You are unfailing. Father, thank you that as we worship you now and then as we share together at the communion table, we can have ringing in our ears that truth. The love of the Lord endures forever. Amen.